Welcome to the Good Reading Podcast, proudly sponsored by Book People Gift Cards. A Book People gift card is the perfect gift for readers of all ages. Simply order your gift card online at bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. Redeem at any one of over 500 bookshops across Australia. Visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. I'm beginning to put things together, but they don't make total sense. Why do I recall a two decades old television cooking program by a husband and wife team who both met violent deaths? Their 20 year old son who tells outrageously tall tales and his eight year old sister who likes to eat chocolates under the dining table. And why are the parents called Skylar and Herman Van Neumenbelt when the son is known as Robert Millard? And what is the little girl's name? Why do I recollect their big white kitchen so well in the video of a police reconstruction? This is the closest I've come to recalling anything from my past since the accident, apart from the names of two detectives. I'm still intensely embarrassed that I mistook myself for a supposedly close friend who I'm still too mortified to meet in person. I remain deeply suspicious of everything in general and wary of mirrors in particular. I would like nothing more than to discuss the beginnings of my returning memory with Mingzu and Donis, but I know they go straight to the doctor. Not that he's not entitled to know, but I know he won't be satisfied and will only press me for more. I have to do this cautiously. However clear things might be in my head, I still don't trust what people tell me or what they show me either. Please, no more photographs. I know I've been in a serious accident that I can't recall, I know I've had surgery on my brain and how critical that can be, especially when it comes to memory. I've been told my name and who I am, but none of it rings true. Surely I have to feel it first. Otherwise, I'm just playing a role, which I know would please everyone around me. Everyone that is but me. Roger Simpson is the creator of 17 series for television, including Good Guys, Bad Guys. Stingers, Something in the Air, and the acclaimed telemovie series Halifax FP, and its sequel, Halifax Retribution. Today, I'm talking to Roger Simpson about the second book in the Jane Halifax series, Halifax Resurrection. Roger Simpson, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you, Greg. There's a fuzz in my head like cotton wool, keeping my thoughts at bay, says forensic psychiatrist Dr. Jane Halifax. What's happened to Jane? Well, she's recovering from a serious car accident where she has um, been in a coma for a couple of months. And uh, when she's come out of the coma, she's lost her memory. She can't remember the accident, but the police are concerned because they think uh, it, somebody did try to run her off the road. So she's got a few um, obstacles in her path. One, to remember who she is. Another, to recall the accident. And then she's uh, nagged by a case, which is 20 years old. And uh, she doesn't know why this case is so prominent, but she uses it as a technique to get back her memory. And that's kind of the uh, structure of the book. And with her memory compromised, Jane's, as you said, trying to find herself, trying to find herself in this unfamiliar world. It's a frightening prospect for Jane, having to piece together her own life. And the psychological aspect of her recovery is fascinating. There could be psychological barriers to recalling your memories that may need to be negotiated, Jane's doctor tells her. What are those barriers? The main thing she can't remember is the last two years. And that's not neurological. 
And her doctor thinks there might be psychological barriers which are preventing her from remembering the last two years specifically. Uh, two years ago, her former partner was murdered. Uh, that was a trauma that she negotiated some time ago with her psychiatrist. And it's unlikely that that is the reason she's not recalling the last two years. It's not neurological, it's psychological. And as a psychiatrist, she knows that um, that's what she has to discover. Jane's facing two challenges. Recovery is one of them and solving this cold case. How do you solve a crime when you can't remember your own name? That's an interesting dilemma, but she realizes that there must be a reason she remembers this case. It's been troubling her for some time. It's kind of often described by Jane as her greatest failure. And it's interesting that when she awakes from her coma, that this is the thing that's dominating her thoughts. So she decides to use it as a technique to recover her memory. And she goes back into this crime of 20 years ago, uh, re-examines the facts, and um, in the process discovers a truth she didn't realize at the time. Uh, and using that technique to recover her memory, she slowly recovers her memory from 20 years ago and moves forward, only to come to this block of the last two years, which she can't negotiate at all. Now, this is a case from 20 years ago involving one Robert Millard. What's that case all about? He, he was a pathological liar who made uh, discovered the, uh, the bodies of his parents and initially confessed to their murder, then changed his confession later to say, no, he didn't murder them. He discovered their bodies. He picked up the gun. Um, he panicked. Uh, he didn't murder them at all. But because of his history of pathological lying, it's very difficult for um, the police and Jane, his uh, forensic psychiatrist, to discover which of the two confessions is correct. Did he murder his parents? Or was it just something he claimed uh, to get the, the police's attention and to tell him what he thought the police wanted to hear? So that's the sort of obstacle uh, that Jane must negotiate in his uh, crime. Uh, find out which one is true. 20 years later, she's not so sure she made the right call. And this Robert Millard is an interesting case, at least psychologically. He's described as a fabulist, literally a person who composes fables, someone with an imagination unfettered by the laws of logic or probability, who delights in telling dishonest stories. The more fanciful and elaborate, the better. Now, that sounds a bit like an author. <laughs> it is, it's exactly like an author, yes. But for Jane, this is a real test of her skills and professionalism as a forensic psychiatrist, uh, not least for Robert, but also with Luna, Robert's sister, another very interesting character. Well, we discover as the story progresses that Luna was seeing Jane before the accident uh, to try to find um, an element of the case from the past. Without any spoilers, I can't say too much about it, but... Um, she remembers that Luna, eventually she remembers that Luna was someone that she was seeing before the accident. That is a clue as to why she's thinking about this case of 20 years ago. It's not actually a cold case, it's an old case. <laughs> but it's one that's troubled her because she thinks maybe she came to the wrong conclusion. So she's re-examining her role in that case 20 years ago 
and she's recovering her current memory as well. The both both stories are sort of happening in parallel. And as she recovers and delves deeper into that old case, she finds many more skeletons in the closet than she originally thought. Yes, she does. She finds skeletons in Robert Mallard's closet, and she finds a few skeletons in her own. It, it's really a way of um, helping the reader understand Jane Halifax if they haven't seen the original telly movies. It's a way of re-examining her past in the present uh, to sort of bring the readers up to date about who Jane Halifax is, what makes her tick, why she's a forensic psychiatrist, why she has issues with her father. So it, it was that's the reason I selected the story because it gave an encapsulated insight into who Jane Halifax is. And I think there's a little phrase there that kind of encapsulates Dr. Jane Halifax's state of mind at this point. You never remember the triumphs in life, only the things you regret. And the challenge for Jane is to investigate the nature of the crime for her own sake, as much as for bringing about some justice and clarity for those involved in the case. Yes. Well, I think you do only remember your regrets in life, unfortunately. Um, we've got to try very hard to celebrate our triumphs. It's the things we wish we'd never done or never said that keep coming back in our dreams and our sort of our idle moments. And uh, it's just a human failing that we can't seem to get over it sometimes. And these regrets keep coming back. And Jane's biggest regret is this case, of course. Uh, probably her only failure in her mind. Um, I'm sure there have been other cases she didn't win, but it, winning is not the issue with Jane Halifax. It's really finding the truth. Uh, the, the humanity in the story is what um, motivates her. Um, whether there's a guilty verdict or, or otherwise isn't really the issue. It's the humanity and truth in the story. And here's a case that's keep coming back that she thinks she might have got wrong. If we can get back for a moment to the character of Luna, and that's Robert's younger sister, how does Luna help Jane's recovery and unlock her memory? Luna is looking for her real father. She doesn't believe that Herman van Muhlenbelt was her real father. Uh, she's come to Jane before the story starts to get Jane to help her go back into the files of the past and see if she can see the, any clue to who her real father might be. Um, Jane remembers Luna as an eight-year-old girl at the time of the trial. That's all. She, When she wakes from the coma, she can't remember Luna as a grown woman 20 years later. And that's another thing she has to figure out, uh, who Luna is. Um, she thinks she's a hospital visitor to begin with when she comes to see her in hospital. She thinks she's uh, one of those volunteers that come and talk to people who don't have many friends. Of course, it's not the truth at all. It's just another um, piece of the onion that has to be peeled away to, as Jane uh, burrows her way into the truth. Now, many of the chapters begin with some rather enigmatic poetry, almost like nursery rhymes, somewhat spooky in the atmosphere they provoke. And we later discovered that um, Luna also keeps a scrapbook. Here's a sample. Two little girls squashed on toast. 
That is the taste we love the most. Two little boys squashed on bread. They taste awful, but at least they're dead. They are a bit spooky, aren't they? That um, poem was one I actually wrote for my daughter when she was probably eight. <laughs> and uh, I used to write these sort of slightly spooky nursery rhymes, which I find children rather like, especially little girls with boy germs. Um, thought that that uh, there was humour in those tales, so I, I actually took that and I, I I took these old poems that I'd written for my own kids and uh, gave them to Robert Millard as something that he wrote for his little sister to keep her amused. Uh, her parents are sort of quite larger than life characters, and their life was a bit of a goldfish bowl. Their their the cooking program that their parents ran was uh, high ratings television success and their lives were very public and Robert with his fabulous abilities had created this secret world for Luna and keep, kept writing these poems for her one of which is the one that you just um, <laughs> just recited uh, so they become clues in themselves the poems each each of the eight parts of the book starts with a poem and Jane comes to realise that they hold a clue to the truth uh, behind the story. Let's jump back to the beginning of the novel and just prior to her accident. Dr Jane Halifax has an unusual meeting with Peter Debrasini, the prosecutor in the Robert Millard case. Now, this adds an extra layer of complexity to the story. When the accident occurs, uh, in the boot of the car are some files that have been lent to her by... Peter Debrasini, who was the prosecutor in this case 20 years ago. He's lent them to her quite improperly because, you know, you don't, they, these notes belong to the uh, director of public prosecutions. They're not there for, um, to be lent to the other side. But Peter, 20 years later, thinks um, that Jane's task of um, trying to find Luna's father is fair enough and he's not she's not attempting to reopen the case and rehear it but when the accident occurs he is concerned about the fact that these files are in her car and he retrieves them and there's no record kept by the police of these files having been in the car so it's a little bit suspicious all around and and we wonder it also if other people knew those files were in the car people that might have been involved in the accident so that's an added dimension to the opening of the story. Um, these files were improperly in, in Jane's possession. Has that got something to do with the accident? My final question to you is about crime fiction, whether this is crime fiction or simply a mystery or a thriller. But there's an interesting thing that Jane says. I understand why crime fiction is such a popular genre. The criminal mind can be an addiction, an insight into aberrant behaviour in others, and sometimes by reflection in ourselves. Is that the author speaking or Jane Halifax speaking? Well, that's the author trying to, to figure out what makes Jane Halifax tick. Because I thought in a book that's really examining who Jane Halifax is, we better understand what attracted her to this world. Her father wanted her to be a lawyer. She defied him and went into this allied field of law, forensic psychiatry. But um, I had to ask myself why. And 
that's as close to an answer as I could get, that she has become addicted to the criminal mind and the mysteries of the criminal mind and the, and the mysteries of human behavior uh, in a legal or criminal setting. It's her addiction. And I think it's the addiction of the author. And I think it's the addiction of the reader of crime fiction. I think we all become a little bit addicted to what makes bad people tick. And of course, I suppose the author's uh, approach is always to ask that question, why? It is always the question. And you, you, you start with an even bigger question. Why are you writing the book in the first place? The, the biggest question of all. If you don't analyze that, well, you don't, you can get lost very easily and you, and you, and you forget why you, you're originally attracted to the story. Uh, my why in this case was to work out why Jane Halifax was Jane Halifax. Why was she a forensic psychiatrist? Why, of all the professions she could have selected, why did she select this one? And also, inherent in the title resurrection is, is her resurrection uh, from someone who can't remember her own face in the mirror to someone who reaffirms her profession and, and why she has selected it and why she's so good at it and why she, she will keep going at it and uh, stick at it as long as she can. Well, Roger, Halifax Resurrection is a, an engrossing and, and a, certainly a worthy addition to the Halifax series. And thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Greg. I've been talking to Roger Simpson about his new book, Halifax Resurrection. It's published by Simon & Schuster, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Book People Gift Cards. Share the joy of reading with a Book People gift card. To find out more, visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au.